So I have a very special guest today on the Great Deconstruction Podcast. Many of you will know who I'm talking to today because he may have been your introduction to the concept of deconstruction. David Hayward, also known as the Naked Pastor, is writing graffiti on the walls of religion. If you've seen his cartoons, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A lot of times they are compelling and challenging and... David, like myself, has been demonized and loved. It's one of those things you kind of get used to whenever you're you're doing that kind of work. I've known David for since at least 2010, and he's a he's a great guy, and I've really enjoyed knowing him this this amount of time and and seeing his life change since the time he left his church and started you know kind of doing his own thing. But David's a full time artist now. He's uh, up in the Great White North. Canada, and he's a cool, a cool dude, and I think you'll find him inspiring. And if you'll look him up at nakedpastor.com, you'll see just how how challenging his cartoons can be. I think he does one almost every day, and there is going to be one on the uh, on this episode uh, on the cover art, so that you can see the one that hit me the hardest. Remember, I first saw it when I was still very new to leaving the faith, and had just undergone years of deconstruction myself, and uh, I think I think you'll find his words poignant and affirming, and sometimes even challenging. And you'll you'll also find that he's a really good, down to earth guy. And so, hope you enjoy this. And you can always join us here on the Great Deconstruction at revoxley.substack.com. You can leave comments and support the show. Uh, and my writing, and you can find me at RevOxley on Twitter. One of the best things you can do to support the show is go to your favorite podcasting app, Apple iTunes or Spotify, whatever you're using, and leave a five-star review. Uh, it helps other people find the show. It helps us show up higher in the in the search rankings, especially as a new show. It's really important to get those. So if you could do that, that would be super helpful. And as always, I appreciate you listening, and welcome to the Great Deconstruction. Well, welcome, everybody. I am on the line with David Hayward. And if you don't know that name, I bet you know Naked Past. That is, what is your your tagline, David? Is it a graffiti on the walls of religion? Is that right? It used to be pastor trapped, an artist trapped inside a pastor's body, and then it was graffiti (laughs) artist on the walls of religion. And yeah, so... Yeah, that's if you if you don't know the name David Hayward, I guarantee you you've seen at least one of David's comics, and they are sometimes <laughs> breathtaking, and sometimes funny, and sometimes sad, and sometimes just poignant pieces. And I, I've been following David, and we've been friends for probably fourteen or fifteen years yeah, now, yeah. something like that, a long time. Yeah, before you left your last church, in fact. Oh wow, I that is a long you, time ago. That was yeah, I remember when you announced that. Yeah, so I I remember you announcing that, and I was like, oh gosh, let's make sure let's make sure David's okay because that's rough stuff. When yeah, you, it was rough when you stuff. finally took that step. But David, I I will let you kind of introduce yourself a little more, oh. go into as much detail as you want. I kind of let the guests blabber on as much as they want, and I will interject a question here and there. Yeah, yeah, man, we we go way back. I mean, I. I did. I left the ministry in 2010, and then it was a couple of years later. I started what an online community for people deconstructing or questioning their beliefs or leaving the church and all that called Lasting Supper. 
You remember, yeah, you're, remember you can remember there from day one, I think, like from, from yeah. a long time ago. So yeah, we go we go way back. And I wasn't aware that you were following me before I left the ministry, but yeah, that was that was a that was a time. That was a time. But I basically grew up in a Christian home, very religious home, ended up like in the deep end of evangelicalism in a Baptist church and then a Pentecostal church. Went to a Pentecostal Bible college. That's where I met Lisa. My wife, we're still married, went from there to a theological seminary where I majored in New Testament studies, studied Greek and Hebrew, Aramaic, you know, theological French, theological German, started my PhD in New Testament studies. Then we got pregnant and I was offered, I, I couldn't keep going because of the money and yeah. I was offered a way out. The president of Presbyterian College at McGill University offered me a way to top up my masters to an MDiv and then be, get ordained and pastor church. And all the while I would be taken care of as a student pastor and all that. So I kind of accidentally tripped into the ministry that way. It was a, it was a yeah. way out and a way to take care of my family and, you know, also use my theological education. So I did, I got ordained as a Presbyterian pastor in Canada and served there for many years, left that, went into the Vineyard Church, which is like the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't realize that you had been Presbyterian prior, and I didn't realize that you had Pentecostal roots. Yeah, yeah. Because I do too, and that's formative stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've, <laughs> I've been around the block. I call myself my own ecumenical movement because I've had so many <laughs> theological denominational experiences. Yeah. I, th I think that's partly because the way I was raised, grew up. Um, even though I was baptized Anglican as a baby, I. We we moved around a lot. I think I moved 13 times before I was 16, and my dad being transferred around as a police officer. And I, we we just went whatever church was convenient and closest and the most fun or the most correct or whatever. So it was yeah. it was a whole you know smorgasbord of different denominations I attended, so that I never felt loyalty to anyone in particular, yeah. which I think was good for me so that, you know, I could serve as a Presbyterian minister or as a Pentecostal pastor or vineyard or whatever, you know, so, but then in 2010, I'd had enough. I realized I couldn't keep growing as my own authentic self freely. And the only option I felt for me was to leave the ministry. And as a consequence, it, it, it meant leaving the church just because of where I live and so on. Right. Yeah. Do you feel like, because you know, I, I was ordained at a young age. I don't have I don't have like a traditional education, but of course, I've spent a lot of time studying and trying to learn just as a an autodidact nerd kid who, right. you know, carried a Strong's around in high school and three or four Bibles in my backpack because I was just that that kind of I, I think it's some sort of autism, maybe that just makes me focus, hyper focus on something. And yeah. do you feel like you ever left what ministry is? Because I, I see you still as a minister in I a know, lot of ways. I know. And I still feel like a minister in many ways. Yeah. Well, th that's an interesting question because like my blog, Naked Pastor, I started that when I was a pastor of a right. local church, like an official pastor, you know, with a pulpit. Right. And a lot of people said when I left the ministry in 2010, you know, you need to drop that handle because you're not a pastor anymore. And I'm like, well, fuck that. <laughs> right. I'd always kicked against authority. 
right. and uh, attempts to control yeah, you know same. things. So I, I did wrestle with it actually. Should I drop naked pastor because it's problematic in more ways than one? Not just the pastor part, but the naked part. And yeah. but I had enough people convince me. Look, you're basically doing what pastors do, and that is you're helping people in their own spiritual journeys move from point A to point B, whatever that is. It's 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 yeah. up to you, your personal journey. I don't care if you're moving towards faith or away from it. I don't give a, a care in the world which direction you're going in, as long as you're free and making your own decisions and driving your own car and you know being yeah. spiritually independent. That to me is the important part. It, so it's a lot like chaplaincy. Yeah, yeah, maybe pastoring. Yeah, yeah so that, I, I had a friend who is a chaplain tell me, you know, that what what you're doing this this kind of shepherding people through a process isn't so much pastoring, but it is very much what a chaplain does because you're in this transition stage in life and that's when chaplains step in. So that I, I really started to identify with. That's interesting. I, I like that because a chaplain does, they are working like in a hospital where there's a variety of people they're meeting or in the army, you know, the military where they're all different kinds of people and they're actually forbidden from making people ascribe to any one denomination or theology or whatever. They're there to support each person where they are. So I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. Chaplain. Yeah. It's kind of, there's kind of this compact within that setting where you have to agree that though you may believe one thing, it is your job to meet people where they are. Yeah. And that's exactly how I feel. I Um, wonder if Nick and I, chaplain.com is taken yet <laughs> it, it might not be that's a good idea you're welcome no, no i yeah. think you should consider that. that that's that is more what i see in the lasting supper as a member and i don't contribute a lot but i do read pretty much everything that goes in there without adding to it yeah but yeah i think that may be a better moniker honestly but naked pastor has this classic feel yeah so the first time and it may not have been the first thing i saw from you but it was that that cartoon you sent me Mm -hmm. where Jesus is kind of disappearing over four frames. Mm -hmm. The first time I saw that, I just remember feeling like someone had punched me in the gut. Mm. It was still very raw to me, this this whole experience of deconstructing and learning that I, as much as I wanted to, I did not believe in God. And I desperately wanted to, but just couldn't. I couldn't maintain it. And when I saw that... I know that, you know, artists always have their own point of view that they're trying to express and but there's also this knowledge that the people that receive it will also get what they get out of it. Yeah. And for me, it was it was the I, it looked like the character in it was doing so involuntarily. Right. Like he was this was not a choice that he made. He was just walking there and Jesus disappeared from his life. And that's how I felt. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just hit me. And I think that's around the time that I started to message you and and. You did an interview on a blog I had a long time ago, uh-huh. ages ago. Anyway, I'm, that's going to be on the cover of this. That's why I'm talking well, about can it I, of can this I, uh, Can I just share my screen real quick? I, I think it will let you. Yeah, there should be a share option, but uh, I'm not certain. If it won't let you, I can share well, it. Here we go. Open it up. Here, I got okay. it. There it is. Can you see it? It's coming up. It takes a second. Getting there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just wept when I saw it. And and did for many times every time I saw it because yeah. I was just an emotional wreck. Yeah. So that's uh, see the date on it. It's 2010 down there in the bottom right. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that, yeah. that, that was, yeah, that was when I just left the ministry. I drew that. Yeah. 
And I just posted it again today. I don't know if you noticed, but I just posted it again. Yeah, today. I think and I it's getting that. wild I, reactions from people. <laughs> I got a six day ban on Facebook, so I couldn't interact. Oh, I no. cannot do anything on Facebook right now. <laughs> Jeez, I, it's really frustrating. What did you do? And someone just posted a quit a little questionnaire thing that said, you know, what is one thing that drives you up a wall or makes you insane that people do? And I all I said was when people clip their fingernails in public, the little ting, ting, ting noise that it makes, it's very loud and grating to me. It's overwhelming. And I said, it makes me want to light people on fire. That's that's the part that got me in trouble. <laughs> but it's obviously, you know, I think obviously I would not emulate anyone, but you can't tell Facebook. That. Oh, man. So, One and, of my worst preaching experiences when I was preaching and a woman started clipping her nails while I was preaching. No, yes. oh, I'd lose my mind. I would lose it. I had a coworker that would do it, and it seemed like his nails must have grown enough every day for him to clip his nails every day. And I would just sit there at my desk, like shaking, oh my trying not to confront. That's him. hilarious. I hate it. It's just so it's so piercing. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's why I'm banned right now. And. Any other time I've been banned, it's been something as dumb as that. But I don't think to filter myself fast enough. It's too late. Well, um, I mean, that's kind of weird, though, isn't it? Like Facebook and Instagram and all that. They're they're all in Twitter, especially now. They're they're all going crazy. But okay, they make yeah. a decision. This guy wants to burn people. We'll let him back in six days. <laughs> yeah, six days is plenty of time to repent. You're right, man. That, it's it's just insane now how how those things work and they control our lives. Like I I'm itching to be on Facebook, and I keep hitting like, and then I get the warning. Hey, you can't do this. Oh, it's so. Close that window. We live too much of our lives on that. Yeah. So tell me, tell me how the deconstruction started. And by the way, I think you may be one of the very first, if not the first person to call this experience deconstruction. And it's been called, you know, dark night of the soul. Uh -huh. It's been called all sorts of things. There's been all sorts of names for it over the history. Yeah. But deconstruction is what resounded with me when I first heard it. And I'm pretty sure it was you that I heard it from. And that's, you know, the name of this podcast is The Great Deconstruction. Yeah. Uh, um, and I, I believe, and maybe maybe you'll agree, sorry, I'm rambling. No. I believe that this period of time is going to be known as something like that, The Great Deconstruction, because since the Trump presidency and COVID and all of these world events that have occurred, it has become, I wouldn't say a trend, but it's, it has started happening. People are experiencing this en masse. Yeah. And I think when we look back in 10 years, we're going to be like that something has changed here mm. within the walls of the church. Something has changed within Christianity, and it's going to be known as that. And that's why I call it that, kind of like the, you know, the great schism and, and all of those things. It's, it's focused on calling back to that history and looking at the present day as the time whenever mm -hmm. we're really challenging this thing that we have. But yeah, go ahead and tell us how, Yeah, where did you get started there? Yeah, so that, it's interesting. I don't know. Have you heard of Brad Jerzak? I know the name. He's yeah. a Canadian theologian. We're good friends. Uh, he just came out with a book called Ember, uh, and the subtitle is something like The Great Deconstruction. Really? Yeah. Great. And No uh, ideas are original. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in that book, he actually quotes me a couple of times and he uses one of my cartoons, but uh, he dug back into my blog and I I started using the word deconstruction in reference to spiritual to, to beliefs and and spiritual life and relationship to the church way back in 2006 
Oh, wow. And because I'd been reading Derrida, the French philosopher who coined the word in French, but the English equivalent. And I thought, wow, this exactly describes what I'm experiencing in my spiritual life. And so I started using it way back in 2006. I've got the blog post to prove it too. So I think I remember you sharing that not long ago. Yeah. That's crazy. And and then I, I became even more intentional about it in 2008 with more blog posts. And then finally, when I left the ministry and then I was struggling with it, I, and I launched the lasting supper in 2012. I actually reached out to people who were deconstruction at that point. Yeah. So, but for me, I know a lot of people are experiencing deconstructing right now because I'm seeing it being used in every sphere of, of life. So we're deconstructing race. We're deconstructing gender. Yeah. We're deconstructing sexuality. We're deconstructing religion. We're deconstructing justice. We're deconstructing you know, all all across the board, everybody's questioning everything. And I think, and I, I agree, like Brad and, and like you, uh, this is this is the great deconstruction that we're in. But for me, yeah. it began way back when I was graduating from my master's. And that was in 1980. Oh, wow. So when oh, I graduated wow. okay. with my master's. And I, I, I was a total Bible freak, like, Seriously, like you, I had That's 40 all years kinds ago. of Bible. I, I still have them. I still have my interlinear yeah. Bible. I have, I have three within arm's reach. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I still have all. Well, I'm, I don't want to throw them out because they are yeah, they are sort of deposits of my earlier Christian experience that I don't want to disown, or, and I can't disown. It's right. part of who yeah. I am, and I, I completely feel that. Yeah. So I've got I've got my interlinear Bibles with all the different colored <laughs> pencils and different yeah. writing in the margins and everything. So, and then I took Greek and I took Hebrew years of each and Aramaic yeah. and all that, because I was just a total Bible freak and I was going to be a Bible scholar. And then just before I actually, I was in my graduation robes, ready to go to the graduation ceremony at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary near Boston. And I suddenly realized, I don't think, I don't believe in the three eyes of scripture, inerrant, inspired, infallible. I, and and right. to me, it was devastating. I was absolutely devastated to the point where my Dang. wife, Lisa, actually had to grab me by the shoulders and say, we got to go to your graduation ceremony. I was freaking out. And yeah. that's where it began. The seed was planted of doubt. And yeah. so it, yeah. it took you 20, 30 years to, for that to come to fruition and, you, and for you to leave yeah. the ministry. Yeah. I compare it to uh, corrupt computer code. That gets in there and just starts eating away and corrupting your theological beliefs, you know, and it took a long, yeah, yeah, it took a long time. And I had to do that all the while when I was in ministry. So that made it interesting. How, um, I, I have a similar relationship with the Bible. I still study the Bible. I still care about the Bible and I still think it has a poignant message. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I think, I think there are important things there. Uh, so I don't want to throw that out. You know, I, I think that Jesus's Sermon on the Mount is one of the greatest speeches of all time, and there will never be anything to really compare to that right. that isn't derived from it. Yeah, and I agree. I, and I think there's a lot of truth in that, as well as falsehood. Yeah. But my view of the Bible today is this is this is specifically 
a Jewish people's attempt to explain the unexplainable. Yeah. And that, to me, is not only a humanistic endeavor, it's a beautiful endeavor, and it's a piece of human history. Mm. We should never forget those things. The, the Bible is only dangerous if you believe it is one of the three eyes or all of the three eyes. Right. Yeah. That's, that's whenever the problems come around. Yeah. It's a lot more beautiful once you get over the initial shock of, you know, this thing I believe my whole life is different from what the way I understand it. Once that shock is gone, you can really embrace it in a much different light, Yeah, I think. And it took me many years to get to that point, but I'm yeah. there now and I'm very glad for it. Yeah. I mean, just reading, like if anybody reads Joseph Campbell, for example, who talks about the value of mythology and just because it's not historically a fact doesn't right. mean it doesn't convey some something important and even right. carry some measure of truth or Absolutely. communicate some yeah. truth. So, you know, even though we might not believe in the historical Garden of Eden story as a historical, a actual historical event, we can still glean a lot of insight from it. It kind of reminds me of Bly. What was his first name? Something Bly, who, who wrote, uh, um, he began the men's movement. Bly wrote on Iron John. Yeah, so he, he, okay. he took apart that myth of Iron John and sort of applied it to men's personal inner health, you know? So, you know, it, it's, it's not like Iron John is an actual historical story, but we right. can glean a lot of insight from it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's, uh, once you get to that point, I think your whole relationship with the world and the universe can kind of improve mm. because as you know, I, I went through a, long time of kind of being this new atheist wanting to debate everybody right wanting to to just argue my point of view and, and get people to convince that you know this is the way to think this is this is right uh -huh. and that that's just part of my personality right you know i'm a i'm an extremist no matter what i do it's just how i'm wired i yeah. i tell people you know i joined the communist party at 14 because i read the words of jesus not because i read the words of marx oh man and as an American, that's an kind of a brave thing to do. <laughs> absolutely. And I, my name's on that list, you know, so, so <laughs> since I was a kid. So it's it's one of those things I always tend toward whatever is the most extreme. Hmm. And then eventually I kind of come around to the, the middle again, though I still am card carrying and, and that's hilarious. About communists. That's hilarious. <laughs> Thank God we're not in the McCarthy era. But listen, you know, I, I, yeah. I uh, when I was a teenager, the closest I got to communism. Well, I am Canadian. So we live in democratic socialism, <laughs> democratic socialism, which is what I, I believe is a really healthy way of doing politics. Yeah. But we also, it was at that time when it was cool to be communist. And I had a New Testament that looked like the little red book. Yeah. Was it Mao Zedong's Communist Manifesto, I think? No, it's Karl Marx. But Karl, yeah, I mean, Karl one. Marx, the Communist Manifesto. Yeah, but it was it was a New Testament right that looked like the <laughs> Communist Manifesto. <laughs> I, you know, I never really thought about because, you know, everybody's had the little Red Testament. They used to give them away in school here. Yeah. And I've never thought that they could be looked at side by side and maybe mistaken for one another. No, it was intentional. Right. It was intentional. So you'd look cool. Wow. But then the truth would yeah, come yeah, out yeah. that you were just trying to evangelize communists. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Is that the Gideons did that on purpose? That's yeah. funny. <laughs> At least that's what I was told. That was uh, that was all around the same time with Chick publications and all that stuff. Oh there. yeah, I used to have one of each of Chick's man alive. Oh, what a nightmare. Oh boy, what a mess. Uh, that, but that's the kind of Christian I was. Me too. When I was really young. Me too. Yeah, it, it's and you look back and like <laughs> I have 
formally apologize to most everyone that I brought into the faith <laughs> because I I feel guilty about it, you know, and I I feel guilty that one I was misrepresenting it as far as I can tell, you know, I don't think I was giving a true representation of what this Jesus guy was about at the time, <laughs> even though like my core beliefs were centered around caring about the poor and the needy and and the widow and the orphan. Right. It it still reflected poorly in a lot of ways. Mm. So I'll I'll ask you this uh, to move on a bit. You're right now you're a full time artist. That's like your job. Yeah, and that's that's like all Christian me wants to say. That's what a blessing that is. Listen, I, but, uh, I'm living the life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that does sound just amazing, and I'm I'm a little jealous of you, though I have no artistic talent whatsoever. Oh. I think it's just amazing that you're able to do that, and that you're. Anytime I see someone who is local to me share one of your cartoons yeah. my immediate reaction is to tag you and say hey look it's <laughs> down here in, in south georgia of all places where yeah. people don't often think these types of thoughts but more and more you see it yeah yeah it's cool yeah, through what we what i call the great deconstruction people are hitting that button and a lot of your work is doing that it's it's pressing that button or triggering that thought for people um what's that been like yeah to kind of go from yeah. struggling ex-pastor yeah you know to full-time artist listen man i i i i've been drawing and everything for my whole life and i started nakedpastor.com five years before i left the ministry so you know in cartooning i'd been doing that for a few years as well and everything but i was pretty much flying underneath the radar for quite a long time i really do think i was ahead of my time a little bit with the whole deconstruction thing when i was talking about it as a normal process of spiritual development when we question our beliefs and everything and i i noticed that man how do how do how do we gather i mean how do we there's so many people experiencing this all over the world how do we you know you can't meet anywhere and nine, and most people didn't want to, wouldn't want to meet anywhere that's why i started you know online communities and things like that but yeah it was like uh, my cartoons were uh reviled more than loved i remember that back then yeah. And and now, though, it's almost like they're becoming more and more mainstream a little bit, more and more popular as time goes on. I mean, I, I, I got a message from yeah. somebody the other day on Instagram, direct message saying, hey, I'm just sitting in a little coffee shop in Copenhagen. And I looked up and she took a picture of a cartoon of mine overturning where Jesus is flipping over the tables. And it was yeah, hanging there on the wall, a little coffee shop in Copenhagen. And yeah, I saw. I, actually, I saw yeah, you share that. Yeah, so wow. you know, it's it's become more and more of a thing now, and yeah. which is which is good. You know, it's a good thing. People are 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 feeling less isolated and ostracized and alone, and they're feeling more validated and encouraged and affirmed. Yeah. That hey, I'm not crazy. I'm not alone. This is normal. And also, it's helpful for me because people are wanting to buy my books and buy my art and, and, and things like that. And I get interviewed on podcasts. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 You say you do this multiple times a week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's several, cool. at least two or three times a week. Yeah. Wow. That's really awesome. <laughs> that, that's really cool. I did one yesterday with a friend and he's going to be on mine. Oh, but cool. I, a good one to check out church and other drugs because this will probably release around the same time. Oh, uh, wow. Church and other drugs. It's a good one. That's a church and other drugs. That's, that's a great yeah, title. Yeah. Good name. Yeah. Good name. That's, that's kind of a uh, church is kind of its own addiction. You know, it oh. certainly was for me. Oh yeah. 
and and it was more like coming and I, I've been addicted to substances before. I'm addicted to nicotine now. Very hard to quit. Mm-hmm. Very hard to kick the habit. And uh, I found it so incredibly difficult to kick the habit of being in that fellowship and having that built-in family. I grew up in not the greatest household. There was a lot of abuse and, and right. just bad stuff going on. So church was my escape from that. Yeah. But when I realized that, you know, I think this may be hurting me more, mm-hmm. even, you know, I had to had to release myself from it. In it's, some way. That's interesting. You know, alcohol has been in our family, in my family for a long, long time. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think addictive personality might run in my family as well. It definitely and, does in mine. Yeah, I picked it up. And I, you know, I I I got to the point where I really love red wine and I love good whiskey, bourbon, you know, especially. Yeah. yeah. And but I I went on a big liquor fast last year for like three months, and changed changed the, my relationship with alcohol during that time. But one of the things I did notice was there's sort of the alcohol mindset where it's not so much the alcohol, but it's my thinking I need it. So when I'm feeling sad or down or frustrated and I need to soothe myself, my go-to is the alcohol, uh, you know, to have a a glass of wine or a bottle of wine or, you know, a couple of drinks of bourbon or whatever. And and so the problem wasn't the, the bourbon, let's say. The problem was me needing to soothe myself for something for some reason. So yeah. that so that that was a big lesson that I learned over that liquor fast. And I had a very similar experience yeah. to that. When my I used to have a glass of scotch every day when I got home from work. Yeah. And two or three years ago, yeah, when I got really, really sick, you know, I was drinking to like deal with pain, to like do, deal with physical real pain. But it was making it worse. I didn't realize it, but it was actually making it much worse. And it almost killed me to be drinking while having yeah. parts of my body shut down. And what what did you then, have? Just, what was your sickness? I just had a, a severe gallbladder infection oh, that wow. went into my pancreas. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, it caused my liver to start shutting oh, down. Oh geez, alcohol? No. Yeah. 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 Well, I I didn't. You know, didn't know. Kept, I kept getting. I didn't realize what was going on. I had gone to the hospital a few times, you know, looking for answers, and they said, you know, it's it's your intestines, it's diverticulitis, and I was uh, like, I don't think so, but okay. Yeah, yeah. And then when I finally got really, really sick, like turned yellow. My tongue was black. I had gone into sepsis and I didn't realize it. Oh, wow. I was really close. I would not have made it through the night had I not gone to the hospital. That changed my relationship with alcohol because I was never, I don't even like getting drunk. Never enjoyed it. Anytime I've ever gotten drunk, I just regret it, swear it off, you know, don't ever want to touch the stuff again. And occasionally would have a little bit, but yeah, now it's uh, one, I'm a lightweight. I can have one beer and I just buzz. Yeah. Just completely buzzed and I don't need any more one anymore. Yeah. But I might have a drink now once a month, maybe. Yeah. Well man, I'm glad you made it through that. But my yeah, my point my sure. point was in relation to religion, there's the religious mind yeah. where I'm afraid I don't feel like I have any meaning in my life. What happens when we die? I'm I'm feeling like I need help. I need to be rescued. And our mind might because of my growing up in a very religious setting religion might be my brain's go-to for self-soothing spiritually, right? So yeah, I totally see where religion, church, Christianity, theology can be an addiction. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, that it, it certainly was for me. And I think it filled a lot of the holes in my life, you know, an abusive father mm. who was murderous and, and 
just he was an awful awful person and finding a god that loved me without condition was everything i wanted yeah that was i was ripe for it i was the i was the right age i was the right mindset to just focus and consume nothing but that yeah for a chunk of my life yeah how did in my family it caused quite a lot of ripples when you left the ministry how did your wife and your kids take that did it go over well well my kids by this time were they were well on their way to being young adults and had already started forming their own opinions about church and theology and christianity and all that they're all on very different paths than us spiritually but they they own it they embrace it they have their own spirituality that we applaud and support and embrace, you know, but we, we were always open and honest with our kids all the way through. We didn't try to hide our deconstructing process from them. And basically they traveled along with us so that when I did resign from the church, from ministry and left the church, it was no big surprise to anybody. And, and Lisa was like, we, we were together at the hip all the way through it. But I'll admit though, when I left the ministry and we left the church, that was a devastating experience because it wasn't just a theological thing. It was also financial, social, you know, you name it, relational. We had to figure out how to be married again after that because we'd been in the church together for over 30 years serving the church. And that's where all our friends were. That's where I got my pay from. That's where we got all our support from. That's where we got all our sense of meaning from. That's where we got a sense of destiny from and importance, you know, relationships. And then it was all gone overnight. So, yeah. you know, that was a real difficult time for us. So she, she was aware when, even in 1983, whenever you, when you, you say this first started uh, of that, oh, yeah. she knew that this was part of your journey. Well, that's, it's good that you weren't, you didn't feel the need to hide it because oh, I, yeah. I felt like I couldn't tell anybody. Oh, yeah. I felt very ashamed of any doubts, especially, you know, young apologists. Like I'm, I am the epitome of knowing what's true. Yeah. And here I am questioning everything, yeah. absolutely everything. Yeah. As far as that social fallout, do you still live in the same town where you were ministering? Yeah. How's, what's that like? Yeah, that's that's weird. And that's one of the reasons why when I left the ministry, basically it meant leaving the church because it's a small enough town. I'd already had a reputation, notorious maybe a little bit, naked pastor. I was always kind of offensive to other churches and pastors and so on. In fact, People in my congregation were hearing from people in other congregations that I was no longer a Christian and God had removed his hand from my life and I lost my anointing and I no longer believed in God or, and, you know, all this kind of stuff was going on. So that, you know, when I left the ministry and the church, it, it, there was no other, there's no, there, you know, I couldn't go to any other church. Everybody knew who I was. I couldn't hide, you know, and St. John, New Brunswick, Canada is on the East Coast. It's a small town and it, it's really and besides, they're, it's kind of con- quite conservative where I yeah. live, and it's it, it would have been difficult for us to find a, a place. Now, there's a place in another town, which is about an hour and 15 minutes drive away, where we're friends with the pastor and his wife, and we would go visit there once in a while, but they just retired. And so that's now gone. So, but I don't feel any, I don't feel any compulsion to go to church anymore. It's just not there. I 
one of the things Lisa and I had to do, though, was we had to be intentional about building, creating, building and nurturing new relationships and friendship that we lost in the church when we left the church. We had to figure out how to make friends. <laughs> so that's been a challenge. Yeah, I, I've been there. Yeah. I certainly understand that. And my my town is, to put it in perspective, it was about 75 to 80 percent voted for Trump here. Ooh. So with Lord have mercy stick out like a sore thumb, let me tell you. And I'm I'm okay with that. See, that's the thing is like I've always reveled in being different and and being the oddball. Yeah. But it is more isolating over time as than than most people realize. You know, you you you're kind of alone out here. Yeah. Until somebody reaches out and sends you an email and says, you know, the thing you said the other day really hit me and I'm sure you you experience that probably every day, you know, with with the comics going out yeah, like um, if I lived in if I lived in Toronto or you know L.A. or somewhere a big city, there would be all kinds of you know opportunities maybe. But like here where I am, where it's kind of small town and conservative, you know, we Lisa and I have relationships with enough people to keep us busy enough. But yeah, it's I I don't get that a lot here. I'm I'm I'm, I'm People know who may know who I am online, but locally now I'm kind of under the radar and, you know, but there's people that we know and we can get together for coffee or go out for drinks or have them over or they have us over or something, but it's enough to keep us, keep us busy. And, but it, it takes work. I think that's one of the big things people experience when they, when they leave the church is loneliness. And we've had to be very intentional about overcoming that. Yeah. Some of your cartoons, they, almost preach a sermon to me. Mm. There are a few, there are actually many that, that refer to Jesus and a little sheep. And there are rainbow color sheep and trans flag sheep. And you've kind of done variations of that. Yes. And I, I want to know what compels you to to deal with that community and the church's relationship with that community. Well, first of all, I have a, a, a bunch of gay friends and trans friends and so on. And I hate seeing how they're being treated. Uh, now, yeah. I live in Canada where we have laws that protect LGBTQ people, trans people. Same-sex marriage is, a, is legal. Conversion therapy is illegal for the most part. And so I, I live in a country that's more favorable for LGBTQ, trans people, etc. But for me, it, it's almost the, it's it's like to me the church has drawn a line or whatever, and and this is the hill it's wanting to die on. Like, yeah. and I it baffles me the ferocity of hatred that I'm seeing against LGBTQ plus community. And like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm issuing a warning. Yeah. Not only am I trying to comfort and encourage and validate and affirm my gay friends, my trans friends, et cetera, my bi friends, my a friends, you know, whatever it, I, I'm, I'm trying to help them feel okay. On the other hand, I'm trying to warn the church, you need to provide safe spaces for these people. Or I actually think the church is going to die. I think the church is going to die if it doesn't fix this. Because yeah, in I, my I opinion, is... it doesn't understand love if you exclude certain people groups. Like it, even Jesus, whether you're not or not, you think that he was a historical figure. It doesn't matter. The, the point of the teaching was the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. The, the sun shines on the just and the unjust alike. Gravity pulls everything towards it indiscriminately. And that's what love is. And so when you say we love everyone except or we love you but. 
or or whatever, then that you don't understand what love is. And and the church claims to be the spokes thing for love and grace right. and mercy and compassion. And and it's obvious it doesn't know what it means. So yeah, that's why time. I am so adamant about it. Yeah. I I appreciate that about you. My partner is a trans man and I have a roommate here that is trans as well. And in, in particular, his relationship with our, our friendship started because of issues with his mom, you know, not appreciating the fact that he was trans. Right. And I am I'm proud to be someone offering that safety. That's yeah. Awesome. Uh, that safety net. That's incredible. That's one of the greatest things that I, I feel like I've accomplished in my life is like I have a place where you can come and yeah. be whatever you need to be and figure it out and whatever. And, and there won't be any judgment. And, you know, through that, we've helped. We've helped him get his name changed and helped him do all the things that the legal loopholes and things that you have to run through, which should be simple. You would think, you know, it should be easy to do all that, but it's both expensive and difficult, especially here in in the South where, you know, difference is not always seen as a good thing yeah. or embraced. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that rhetoric, yeah. the the hateful rhetoric comes from the churches down here. Yeah. So, and I, I, I think you said you said that the church is going to die because of it. And I think, yeah, that is the church digging its own grave right now. And unless it yeah. does better or changes, it will not last. Yeah, and I, that, I, that saddens me. I think the church is a, a, a an incredibly powerful institution that can do immense good in the world. Yeah. And yet this is the hill you want to die on. Yeah. How how sad. Yeah. It's the same with race and, you know, women. You know the the cartoons that that cause the most stir are my my women that are really? pro women that yeah. are pro LGBTQ and and trans and so on and then it's the Bible those three yeah. are the top three that's going to cause a stir and, and and yet these are the three areas where the church is digging its heels in and it just baffles me that it's it's. You know, I remember when I was a a teenager and going to, and then I was going to a Pentecostal Bible college. Way back in those days, you were not allowed to serve as a, in any leadership capacity in the Pentecostal church if you were a divorced man. But they've changed that, right? And why? Well, because of necessity. They looked at yeah, the facts. A lot of divorced men. They looked at the figures. Over half of our men are divorced, and they're good yeah. men. You know, there is, and and we need men, <laughs> so they relax the rules. It, it's kind of like during yeah. before COVID, you could not do therapy counseling legally over the over the phone or over Zoom. It had to be face to face, and you couldn't cross line, state lines either. So, it, <laughs> you know, to for a, a a licensed therapist, to you had to actually meet with the person. It couldn't be virtual. Well, COVID changed that. Why? Because of necessity. Because of, you have to. because of money, because of, you know, availability and access and everything, they had to change the rules. And so that's my hope is that the church will come to the point where we're saying, look, not only are we losing LGBTQ people, we're losing all their families. We're losing all the people who love them and support them. We need to sort of relax the rules here and change our minds. That's my hope. It's unfortunate. I hope so. I hope you're right. Yeah, it's unfortunate it, it that is, it has it's... to be forced, that you have to force their hand. But I think this is often the way things happen. Yeah, it's it's it really breaks my heart to see and and to hear. I mean, local pastors do sermons all the time on yeah. 
queers and atheists and trans people, and they're just feeding these seeds of fear to people yeah. that are based on nothing. There, there's no, no basis for a lot of their their thought, and it's, it's incredibly hard to see. And I I appreciate the the work that you've done in that area because I I have seen queer friends of mine share your stuff, and I know that it <laughs> it makes them feel accepted that's cool in a way that they weren't feeling yes because you know if, if jesus was anything it was like just come as you are that was it yeah and if i if you need to change anything about you i'll i'll handle that yeah you know that's kind of one of the core tenets yep. of this gospel thing is you know you you come the way you are and we'll figure the rest out yeah it's a, a willingness to do that i don't think i yeah uh, it, uh, the historical jesus if there was such a person and, and we can go into that at another time, but I don't think he cared, really, honestly. No, I, I don't think Jesus concerned himself no. with who you slept with or what was between your pants or no. how you felt inside. I, yeah. I think it was about acceptance and, and, more importantly, loving your neighbor and living in, in literal, real communion with your neighbor. Yeah, Those are, totally. That That's a much different story than this guy died and rose again. Yeah, I don't uh, believe I, that whole salvation narrative right. anymore. Yeah, is do you feel like the story is much more powerful without that? Because I I do. I feel like the whole gospel story is much more powerful if Yeah, well Jesus, every every re- that's irrelevant. Yeah, no, totally. When we ta- this the whole salvation narrative in my opinion was formed over time to protect and populate and promote a exclusive religion. Every religion wants to be the exclusive religion. Every religion wants to be the right one, except for Hinduism, which has a way of, you know, yeah. including everything. But, you know, so I I think if you get back to the roots of, say, some of the teachings of Jesus, we find a more universal, global kind of an idea yeah. of humanity and, and spirituality than if we go down that whole salvation narrative storyline. It, it It tends to draw a line between who's in and who's out and it ends up being most of the world that's excluded and so yeah, yeah i think i think the when you drop that whole salvation narrative that that whole exclusive that, that all that exclusivity falls away which i think is a yeah. good thing yeah i mean if jesus came died for your sins so that you can go to heaven and only 10% of the population of all of all time is able to make it that's a failure you know you're <laughs> You're really saying like Jesus really didn't didn't do much. Yeah, but Look, if, if you kind of embrace the other thing, here's my here's my opinion about theology. One of my opinions about theology is let, let's look at a thumbnail sketch where God creates people and He's walking in the garden with them. Everything's great, hunky dory. There's unity. Everybody's one. There's no you know. Then there's then there's the fall. Then there's the sin. And then there's you know separation. And then there's wrath. And then there's you know, all this. And then a, a lamb has to be provided. There's the sacrifice. There's a spilt blood. There's a reconciliation. And then in the end, we're walking again in the garden with God, all one, and everything's nice and peaceful again. That All that in between, it's like we're one with God, all are one, and at the end, all are one. But we need this huge narrative to try to explain why we suck why we fall, why we sin, why there's brokenness, why is there a sense of separation, why there's all this confusion. But I, I think the the brackets within all which all this theology is happening is is the stable part that it always is, and that is the oneness of all things, the connection of all things. 
All the rest is just an attempt to explain what the hell's going on. Yeah. 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 Well, it's uh, if I don't, I don't know if God would work in such a convoluted way, you know, it's <laughs> exactly. like, why, why, why can't yeah. you just make this simple? It's and like I that think, story. You know, if, it's like that story of the, of the, of the Inuit, I think uh, a, a first nations person where the, he asks the priest, if you guys never came to, to witness to us, you're saying that God would love us and everything anyway because yeah. we'd never heard the gospel. And he says, "Yes, yeah. that's right." He says, "Well, then why did you ever so come you here in the us? first place?" <laughs> but that that <laughs> to me explains that to me explains the whole theological religious yeah. enterprise right there. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense that way. Yeah, you know, yeah. to 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 require that I suss out the truth. Yeah, in this world, wow. What a what a burden to put on man yeah. to try to figure out what is and isn't, yeah. especially with something that is allegedly so much bigger than us. Yeah. And I, I I would define theology as trying to explain the biggest thing in the universe in two or three words. Yeah. It's just impossible. It's beyond our our mm-hmm. uh, ability to explain and beyond us. Mm-hmm. So it it also takes away this sovereignty of God in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I I don't even believe in God, but like if if God is either sovereign or he's kind of useless to me, yeah. So it's uh it's strange to try to control the narrative of God that we can't possibly know. Right, we I can't. agree. So strangely enough, like one of your cartoons is like a church building with God stuffed inside the words the word God stuffed inside, right? And then with it kind of exploding out, I really love that one too. Yeah. That's kind of what leaving the faith has done for me. Even though I don't necessarily believe, God is still much bigger now mm-hmm. than he ever was before mm-hmm. because I can say I don't know. Right. And I don't have to know. There's right. no requirement on me to know. Right. I can just sit back and enjoy the mystery of things now. I'm going to let you kind of close us out and say where we can find you and kind of promote your stuff. Yeah. Let me you just know, say real quick. Words. Hold on. All right. I, I just came up with a new book. Flip it like this. Yeah. So uh, actually, uh, it's kind of funny because you need to flip it to read that. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually coming over not in a mirror, strangely enough. Yeah. So that's my new book, (laughs) Flip It Like This, which is a collection of my best of cartoons. And so that's available now wherever books are sold. But if you're looking for me, nakedpastor.com, I'm really good at responding to people's emails and messages and so on. I love engaging with other people. And uh, yeah, I'm on all social platforms like you know twitter instagram tiktok linkedin facebook you name it i'm there and uh, yeah i really enjoyed our talk matt i i this was a good conversation appreciate it and i'll i'll plug the lasting supper.com a bit oh yeah sure since day one yeah great it's great community lots of people who are just sharing their experiences yeah well um, and i'm i'm developing it right now i've got some people working on it where i'm going to have a bunch of courses as well that i'm going to actually make that a part of the lasting supper where i'm just going to if you join the lasting supper you get access to all my courses so yeah it's pretty cool yeah and it's like seven bucks a month i think or is it 15 15. okay back before inflation yeah that that started at seven it started at seven yeah 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 Yeah. but you know honestly truly worth it It to to have kind of a built-in community if you're missing the church thing but you're not able to do the church thing anymore for whatever reason it's it, there's no religious preaching. No. It's a lot of times just people bitching about life yeah, it's and great. being honest about what's going on in their life. Yeah. And a lot of people, whenever it first started, I, I remember this was a lot of people's first time getting to cuss. Yeah. 
So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it was, it was just a lot of people just trying to cuss as much as they could yeah. to get it out. Cause it's freeing, you know, yes. that experience is very freeing. It's great. I, rem- I went through that myself and I, I appreciate what you've done there and I appreciate the work you do. I think it's not only poignant, it often hits home in a way for me that inspires me to be better and to do better. And I, I appreciate what you do, David. Well, thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. I'm glad we've been friends so long. It's hard to believe, but yeah, same yeah it's good. Yeah, no, crazy. Yeah.